Chapter Fourteen of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint-Amour, translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter Fourteen: The Sufferings of Louis Sixteenth. Dissatisfied with men and things, dissatisfied with others and himself, the mind and heart of Louis XVI were the prey of moral tortures which left him no repose. He began to be ashamed of his concessions and to repent of having accepted pusillanimous advice. Why had he not succeeded in being a king? Why had he garrisoned Paris insufficiently ever since the outbreak of the revolution? Why had he suffered the Bastille to be taken, encouraged the emigration? and disbanded his bodyguards why had he not opposed the first persecutions aimed at the church why had he pretended to approve acts and ideas which horrified him why by resorting to deplorable equivocations which cast a shadow over his policy and his character had he reduced his most devoted followers to doubt and despair such thoughts as these assailed him like so many stings of conscience the sentiments of the monarchy and of the military honour awoke in him once more and he sounded with bitterness the whole depth of the abyss into which his irresolution had plunged him in seeing what he was he recalled sorrowfully what he had been and comprehended by cruel experience what feebleness could make of a most christian king and the eldest son of the church an heir of louis fourteen he thought of the many brave men victims of his political errors who on his account had suffered exile and ruin of the faithful royalists menaced because of him with prison and death he thought of the incessantly repeated crimes the massacres of the glacier the impurity of brigands of hetzman jordan of brissac's incarceration this is what it is he said within himself to have suffered religion to be persecuted and to have believed that were the altar once overthrown the throne might rest secure he reproached himself bitterly for having sanctioned the civil organization of the clergy at the close of seventeen ninety and thus drawn upon himself the censure of the sovereign pontiff he wanted to be done with the concessions but he understood perfectly that it was too late now to resist and he was irrevocably lost in consequence of events undesired and unforeseen what was to be done how could he sail against the stream where find a point of vantage ought he take violent measures if the unhappy king had been alone perhaps he might have tried to do so but he feared to endanger his wife and children by thus acting as if to push the wretched monarch to extremities the national assembly passed two decrees which struck him to the heart according to the first of these voted may nineteen any ecclesiastic having refused the oath of the civil constitution of the clergy should be transported at simple request of twenty citizens of the canton in which they resided according to the second voted june eight a camp of twenty thousand federates recruited from every canton of the realm were to be assembled before paris in order as was said in one of the preambles to take every hope from the enemies of the common weal who were scheming in the interior they had counted too much on the king's patience he could not resolve to sanction the two decrees and banish the ecclesiastics whose behaviours he honoured dumouriez afflicted him still further when in entreating him to yield he asked why he had sanctioned at the close of seventeen ninety 
the degree obliging the clergy to take oath of the civil constitution of the clergy sir said he you sanctioned the degree for the priest's oath and it was to that your veto must be applied if i had been one of your counsellors at that time i would at risk of my life have advised you to refuse your sanction now my opinion is that having as i dared to say committed the fault of approving this decree which has produced enormous evils your veto if you apply it to the second decree which may arrest the deluge of blood ready to flow will burden your conscience with all the crimes to which the people are tending never at the sovereign's conscience been a prey to similar perplexities louis sixteenth seemed crushed beneath an irresistible fatality the tuileries haunted night and day by the spectre of charles i assumed a dismal air at this period a sort of stupor characterized the countenance the gait and even the silence of the future victim of january twenty one he no longer spoke one might say he no longer thought he seemed prostrated petrified a rumour got about that he had become almost imbecile through care and trouble so much so that he did not recognise his son but on seeing him approach he asked what child is that it was added that while out walking he caught sight of the steeple of st denis from the top of the hill and cried out that is where i shall be on my birthday he had been so calumniated so misunderstood so outraged that not merely his crown but his existence had become an intolerable burden to him his throne and his life alike disgusted him he was no longer a king but only the ghost of one madame campon thus describes him at this period the king fell into a discouragement amounting to physical prostration for ten days together he never uttered a word even in the bosom of his family except when the game of backgammon which he played with madame elizabeth after dinner obliged him to pronounce some indispensable words the queen drew him out of his condition so fatal at a critical time when every minute may necessitate action by throwing herself at his feet and addressing him sometimes in words intended only to frighten him and at others expressing her affection for him she demanded also what he owed to his family and went so far as to say that if they must perish it ought to be with honour and without waiting to be strangled one after another on the floor of their apartment while louis sixteen assisted unmoved not merely like charles v at his own obsequies but at those of royalty the blood of maria theresa was boiling in the veins of maria antoinette the scenes she had witnessed sometimes exhorted sobs and cries of anguish from her her pride revolted at seeing the royal mantle crown and sceptre dragged through the mirror she wanted to struggle at last to hope against all hope to cling to the last chances of safety like a shipwrecked sailor to the fragments of her ship who could say she might find defenders where she least expected them it was for this reason that she wished to meet dumouriez as she had met mirabeau and barneve dumouriez has preserved the details of this interview in his memoirs how times had changed secrecy was almost necessary if one sought the honour of speaking with the queen of france even to salute her was to expose oneself to the suspicion of belonging to the pretended austrian committee 
which was the perpetual object of popular invective when louis sixteenth told dumouriez that queen had desired a private interview with him the minister was not at all well pleased he thought it was a useless step which might be misinterpreted by all parties however he must needs obey he had received an order to go down to the queen an hour before the meeting of the council that it might be sooner over he took the precaution of going half an hour late to this perilous rendezvous he had been presented to marie antoinette on the day of his nomination as minister she had then addressed him several words asking him to serve the king well and he had replied with a respectful phrase since then he had not seen her when he entered her room he found the queen alone very much flushed and pacing to and fro in an agitation which promised a lively interview she approached him with an air of majestic irritation sir she exclaimed you are all powerful at this moment but it is by the favour of the people who soon break their idols your existence depends upon your conduct dumouriez in insisted on the necessity of scrupulously respecting the constitution which marie antoinette was unwilling to do it will not last she said raising her voice take care of yourselves madam replied the minister i am past fifty i have encountered many perils during my life and in entering the ministry i thoroughly understood that responsibility was not the greatest of my dangers nothing was wanting but to culminate me cried the queen tears flowing from her eyes you seem to think me capable of having you assassinated agitated as greatly as the sovereign god preserve me said dumouriez from offering you so grievous an offence your majesty's character is great and noble you have given proofs of which i admire and which have attached me to you marie antoinette grew calmer believe me madam went on the minister i have no interest in deceiving you and i abhor anarchy and crime as much as you do this is not as you seem to think a popular and transitory movement it is the almost unanimous insurrection of a great nation against inveterate abuses the conflagration is stirred up by great parties and there are scoundrels and fools in all of them i behold nothing in the revolution but the king and the nation as a whole all that tends to separate them leads to their mutual ruin i am doing all i can to reunite them and it is your part to aid me if i am an obstacle to your designs say so and i will at once offer my resignation to the king and go into a corner to bewail the fate of my country and your own the interview ended amicably the queen and the minister talked over the different factions dumouriez spoke to marie antoinette of the faults and the crimes of each he tried to convince her that she was misled by those who surrounded her and the queen appeared to be convinced when he was obliged to call her attention to the clock as the hour of the council had arrived she dismissed him most affably if we may credit madame campon who has also given an account of this interview the impression marie antoinette received from it was scarcely a good one one day says madame campon i found the queen extremely troubled she said she no longer knew where she stood whether the jacobin chiefs were making overtures to her through dumouriez or dumouriez abandoning the jacobins was acting on his own account that she had given him an audience that when alone with her 
he had fallen at her feet and said that although he had pulled the red bonnet down to his ears yet he was not and could not be a jacobin that the revolution had been allowed to fall into the hands of a rabble of disorganizers who seeking only for pillage were capable of everything and could furnish the assembly with a formidable army ready to undermine the support of a throne already too much shaken while speaking with extreme warmth he had seized the queen's hand and kissing it with transport cried permit yourself to be saved the queen said to me that the protestations of a traitor could not be believed and this entire conduct was so well known that undoubtedly the wisest thing would be not to trust him meantime the danger was constantly increased even the gates of tuileries were no longer fastened hawkers of vile pamphlets and sanguinary satires on the queen cried their infamous wares under the very windows of the palace and the national assembly sitting close beside and hearing them the national assembly terrorized by the jacobins and the pikemen dared not even censure such baseness on june four a deputy named ribus till then unknown cited from the tribune the titles of the following articles in Freron's journal l'orator the people the crowned porcupine a constitutional animal who behaves unconstitutionally crimes of monsieur capat since the revolution decree to be passed forbidding the queen to sleep with the king the royal tigress separated from a worthy spouse to serve as a hostage rouse up cried the indignant deputy there is still time join with me in proclaiming war on traitors and justice for the seditious and the country is safe ribus preached in the desert the assembly shrugged their shoulders and treated him as a fool june eleven another deputy monsieur delsux said from the tribune last evening at half past seven passing through the tuileries i saw an orator standing on a chair and speaking with great vehemence mixing with crowd i heard him read a libel strongly inciting to the king's assassination this libel is called the fall of the idol of the french and these sentences occur in it this monster employs his power and his treasures to hinder our regeneration a new charles ninth he wishes to bring desolation and death to france go cruel wretch thy crime shall have an end damiens was less guilty he was punished by the most horrible tortures for having desired to deliver france from a monster and though whose offences are twenty-five million times greater art left unpunished but tremble tyrant there is a scaffola amongst us the assembly listened but took no measures no further restraint was placed either on moral or material disorder anarchy showed a nameless epileptic ferocity never had the press been more furious and licentious it was a torrent of mud and gall and blood the limits of invective and insult were driven further back you see that i am annoyed said the queen to dumouriez on louis sixteenth's presence i dare not go to the window looking into the garden last evening needing a breath of air I showed myself at the window facing the courtyard. A gunner belonging to the guard apostrophized me in an insulting way and added, "What pleasure it would give me to have your head on the end of my bayonet!" In that frightful garden, a man standing on a chair 
reads out horrors against us on one side and on the other may be seen a soldier or a priest whom they are dragging through a pond and crushing with blows and insults meantime others are flying balloons and quietly strolling about ha what a place what a people end of chapter 14 recording by lambda